This is the Canadian Taxpayers Federation podcast, where we're dedicated to lower taxes, less waste, and more accountable government. I'm Chris Sims. I'm the Alberta Director for the CTF. I'm here with my friend and colleague, Franco Terrazano. He's holding down the fort for us in Ottawa, where, Franco, you and I have been talking a lot the past few days. There's just a lot of bad news for taxpayers. Let's just rip off the Band-Aid. What's going on? Well, okay. On April 1... (laughs) Members of Parliament are going to be taking more money out of your wallet and stuffing more money into their own wallet, folks. Because on the very same day, carbon tax up, alcohol taxes up, Member of Parliament pay, you guessed it, also going up. So did you hear that, folks? You are going to be paying higher taxes while your Member of Parliament will be taking higher pay. Now, speaking of the pay hike, this is a fact that just really sticks out to me. It's that Prime Minister Justin Trudeau will be taking an extra $31,400 after April's pay raise compared to the salary he was receiving pre-pandemic. Yeah, let's uh, let's get into that in a minute. Let's get into taxes in a minute because it's the pay hike that's bothering me the most. Tax Tax hikes are terrible. But this is just so gross and so tone deaf, Franco. So let's get into this a little bit more. Can you explain to the listeners and viewers exactly what's happening with MP pay raises? Because it's all happening April 1st, but there's nothing really funny about it. Yeah, well, on April 1, members of parliament will take their fourth pay raise since the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic. The fourth pay raise, folks. So if I see one more press conference where a politician says, we're all in this together, I'm going to throw up. I'm going to be sick. Okay. (laughs) Now, look, the numbers, they haven't been released yet. So these are just CTF estimates based on contract data. We did the math. We got a whiz kid over there. His name is Jake and he crunched the numbers. So on April 1, a backbench member of parliament can expect to get another 5,100 bucks in annual salary. That will bring their pay up to about $194,600. Minister's pay will increase around 7500 bucks. That'll bring a minister's salary up to about $287,400. And Mr. Trudeau, well, he'll be taking an extra $10,200 from taxpayers, which will bring his salary up to around $389,000 and a little bit more. So about $389,200. Wow, man. Like... <laughs> You said it all there. So number one, this whole, we're all in the same boat. (laughs) No, we're not. (laughs) So (laughs) politicians and their bureaucrats, right? We say this together on the phone. Uh, They're in some big taxpayer funded yacht and the rest of us are just treading water. Like it's just gross. Uh, 10 grand, 10 extra grand for the prime minister. I heard that right. Like you sure did. That's more than we paid for our car. Like, and that's what he's getting in a bonus or in a pay raise here. So I know we're already in a bad mood. So let's just keep the party going. Add up for us. Do you have that handy? Can you add up for us uh, how much politicians are taking in pay raises now? Because this is number four during the COVID-19 mess. Do we have the full number? Oh, yeah, we sure do. Okay, so once April (laughs) 1's pay raise kicks in, uh, the pay raises in total since the beginning of the pandemic will be about an extra $15,700 for a backbencher, all the way up to an extra $31,400 for Trudeau. Okay, so in total, these pandemic pay raises for our politicians will range from $15,700 to $31,400. And you know what? I can't stress this enough for doing the same job. 
you know, it's not like, yeah, they're, they're not doing anything more. Like, <laughs> come on. <laughs> you know, sometimes I'd wish they would do less. Right. And, and yeah. let's let's not kid ourselves. Let's remember what pay raises are for. Pay raises are supposed to be for when you do a good job. Uh, but our politicians, they don't deserve a pay raise. Not when their tax hikes and crazy spending are making your life unaffordable. So I have only two letters to describe what is going on here. B S. Now you'll probably yeah. hear from yeah, you'll probably hear from some members of Parliament saying, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! What can we do? These are automatic mm-hmm. pay raises by legislation, by law. They go up every <laughs> single year. What in the world can we do?" Well, well, it- your legislators. Sorry, I'm sorry, but it's just like I hate it when they do that. I hate it when they throw up their hands and say, well, "What do we do? We're helpless." Yeah, I mean, there shouldn't be rocket appliances here, you know. They <laughs> they uh they need to be able to get off their butts, put their six-figure salaries to good use and stop these pay raises. Now, there is precedent for this. Okay, I know we're being silly here, but there is precedent. Well, no, la- laugh or cry, man. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, between 2010 and 2013, the uh the Harper government froze MP pay in response to the 0809 recession. Of course, we've seen many jurisdictions around the world cut cut their politicians pay when COVID happened uh immediately comes to mind is new zealand uh the prime minister the ministers and the top bureaucrats took 20 percent pay cuts immediately when COVID happened but you know even close to home you recently had bc mlas they stopped the automatic pay raise they're going to give themselves in nova scotia Premier Tim Houston recalled the legislator, uh, dragged the MLAs back to stop their wage increase. Then he cut his own pay by more than $11,000. So it turns out it is possible to stop politicians' pay raises. And, you know, with what's going on right now with affordability being at the top of even mainstream news now every night for about the past few months, I'm surprised. I'm straight up calling them out surprised that more MPs and politicians in Ottawa haven't picked up on this because this is basic folks. This is like base level retail politics. You just, you know, forfeit your own pay hike. You say, I'm doing this for the people. I'm going to take a stand out of principle. Da, 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 da. But we're hearing mostly crickets out of Ottawa. We're seeing all these examples you just rightly listed from around the world and here in Canada and there's nobody to be found standing up for this stuff in Ottawa saying, you know what? We don't need this pay hike. We're going to donate it. We're going to stop it. Now, pay hikes while the rest of us are bleeding out is bad enough. But sorry, folks, we have to talk about this. Uh, they're jacking up the carbon tax on us too, April 1st, same day. So break that down for us a bit. Yeah, the federal carbon tax going up April 1 to about 14 cents per liter of gasoline, about 12 cents per cubic meter of natural gas. So it'll cost you more to drive to work. It'll cost you more to heat your homes. You know, the necessities. So that's going to be happening in four provinces. You got Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Ontario. The Atlantic provinces will have to pay the federal government's mandatory minimum carbon tax rate, like Nova Scotia, PEI, Newfoundland, and Labrador. That'll kick in July 1. Now, there is one province who won't have to pay the mandatory minimum carbon tax. Uh, I'll let you guess. Okay, (laughs) of course, everyone guessed Quebec. Yep, that's absolutely right. (laughs) Quebec will be the only province that isn't forced to raise their carbon tax to meet the mandatory minimum carbon tax rate. Now, we've wrote a column about this. You can check it out in the Financial Post. It really goes to show that Trudeau's carbon tax is about politics, not about the environment. Now, Chris, 
Can you hear all of my neighbors, all of your friends in the Glebe shrieking right now? <laughs> yes, yes, and Rockcliffe. They're yelling at you from Rockcliffe, too. I can hear them. But you get yeah. more than you pay in, right? Is that what they're saying? <laughs> yeah, I can hear it. What about the rebates? What about the rebates? Well, folks... If you really think that the government can raise taxes, skim some off the top to pay for hundreds of new bureaucrats, then somehow make everyone better off with rebates, then we've got some Ocean View property in Lethbridge to sell you, don't we, Simmer? <laughs> well, <Sure> do. <laughs> you know, the parliamentary budget officer has made it very clear the carbon tax will cost the average household anywhere between 400 bucks and $850 even after the rebate. So the government is using magic math. Yeah, they really are. It's gross. And just folks, that's like magic beans. They're not going to be able to give you more money than you pay in. So we're getting close to the end here, but we really need to finish hammering this home. Unfortunately, coming up July 1st, so later on this summer, Trudeau is bringing in a second carbon tax. So it's a form of government fuel regulation, Basically, what happens is it makes the cost of oil and so diesel and gasoline at the pumps cost you more. In British Columbia right now, they're the only province that has the second carbon tax. And it's roughly 16, 17 ish cents per liter extra for gasoline and diesel because it's an average price and it moves up and down. But we're going to be getting that here in Canada across the country as another form of mandatory minimum. And unfortunately, there's no rebate for that at all. So hang on to your wallets coming up this summer. And lastly, Franco, we have one more tax hike to tell people about. Yeah. You know, everyone, if all this drives you to drink, well, <laughs> more bad news. You know, every time you go pick up that case of Keats to enjoy with the boys or, you know, pick up that bottle of Pinot to enjoy with your better half, or I don't know, maybe <laughs> you just want to spice up that glass of Coke with some rum. Well, Mr. <laughs> Trudeau will be dig, dig, digging deeper into your pockets there with a 6.3% alcohol tax hike. Now, What's going on is that in the 2017 budget, they ram through what's called an escalator tax, which automatically increases the federal excise tax on alcohol uh, with the rate of inflation every year. Well, let's say there's at least three issues with that. Number one, inflation is sky high right now, which means that the tax hike on April 1 will also be sky high, about 6.3%. Uh, number two, it shows that little tax bills, tax increases over time become big tax bills, right? If you look after April's tax increase this year, well, if you compare to what the federal excise tax was when they first brought in the escalator, this escalator tax will have essentially increased uh, by about 18% since it was first imposed in 2017. So that's a big tax hike. Obviously, it's coming in at a very bad time when people are struggling to afford everything in life right mm -hmm. now. Um, but number three, and, and let's really just drive this point home, is that this tax increase is fundamentally anti-democratic, right? Yeah. Now, look, we think you pay, we know you pay more than enough tax. But if there's some politicians crawling around out there that think that you don't pay enough tax and they want to take more money from you, they should at least have the spine to vote on the tax increase in the House of Commons. But there yes, is no vote right. in the House of Commons. They're allowing inflation to increase their tax take. That's undemocratic and it's wrong. It is. They should at least have the guts to stand up and put their money where their mouth is and say so.
that, hey, I want you to pay more for this and then explain why. And then they can face the wrath of the voters if we aren't happy with it. Yeah. uh, To hammer this home, Franco, uh, I think most of our listeners know by now, like your mom lives like a few meters away from me here in Lethbridge. And so, of course, folks, Franco came out here to visit for Christmas. So we actually can't stop working. It's like not possible. So (laughs) we went out to the liquor store and we bought what did we buy? We bought like a big bottle of vodka. I think we bought two bottles of wine. And what did we buy? Like a couple cases. Cases of beer. Of beer. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so I grabbed the pickup truck. It was really fun. We did a we did a bit out in the parking lot of the of the liquor store. We spent at the till. It was about hundred and fifty bucks, folks. Ninety three dollars of that was taxes. Yes, about half, at least half, the cost of your booze is taxes. So ninety three dollars on a hundred and fifty dollar bill. We're already paying way too much for that. So if you're hopping mad about this, listening to this. Don't just sit there and fume. Take that anger, channel it into something productive. Send an email to your member of parliament and tell them to scrap these MP pay hikes and scrap these tax hikes. And hey, guess what? My friend, Miss Simmer, was out in Edmonton recently and she was smiling in Edmonton of all places. <laughs> she was giddy. Now, Simmer. You were in Edmonton for the budget. Why were you smiling in Edmonton? What's going on? Because we actually had an awesome budget. And it was the first time I can ever remember in my adult life being at a budget. And it's a good news story. So number one, right off the top, folks, listeners, taxpayers, we got a bunch of rules put through or at least promised we put through. Some of them we've been fighting for since like the 1990s. Like I think yeah. Mariah Carey was topping the charts. I don't even charts. know if Backstreet I was thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe not. <laughs> so, <laughs> I think you were watching Sesame Street at the time when we were arguing that the Alberta government should hold its spending increases to the rate of inflation and population growth. And guess what? They said they're going to do it. So, yeah, uh, we got a really good budget out of this uh, from Premier Daniel Smith and her government. So let's get into it a little bit here. So she had a really nice problem, right? She was walking into this budget with about a 12-ish billion dollar surplus, give or take on the end. That's largely due, of course, to our blessing of natural resources. So our oil and gas revenues. So that meant they could spend more on like the shiny objects like education, healthcare, the stuff that people say we need to spend more money on, and they're leading up to an election. So all that said, they are spending more. But Franco, these strong rules are some major rules. Like I just said, the the tying spending to inflation and the, the balanced budget legislation. That was really cool to see. Okay. Well, you can't just leave me like that, <laughs> saying balanced budget legislation was cool to see and not give me the Details, Simmer. So why don't you really break down what is actually happening when we talk about the balanced budget law in Alberta? For sure. So they're proposing, we haven't seen the details yet because they haven't tabled the thing yet in the legislature, but they're going to this spring before the writ drops. So keep in mind, folks, we are facing a spring election sometime here in Alberta. So what they're going to do, they say, is pass a law saying that the Alberta government must balance the budget They must. Outside of times of emergencies, now there's the fine print. What qualifies as an emergency, right? Like probably the price of oil bottoming out or aliens landing in Lacombe. Like those are probably the emergencies they're talking about, Uh, but we'll have to see. So that's really good to hear. I also am curious to see if they have any stick required there because we're always talking about carrots and sticks. So 
are there going to be any financial penalties, for example, if the government actually blows the budget and goes into deficit outside of an emergency? So in British Columbia, for example, they used to have pretty decent balanced budget legislation. And whenever they would go into deficit, cabinet ministers, including the premier, would get a 10 percent pay cut. So like a kick in the pants. That was nice to see. So hopefully we'll see that again here, too. You know, it's really good to see Alberta becoming the pace car again for fiscal responsibility and and really the guardrails to protect taxpayer, because you can hear politicians of any political stripe. They're good at talking a good game, especially when they're singing for supper at the doors. But what you need is these types of laws, these types of rules in place to handcuff politicians when those special interest groups come cap in hand. Now, it's great to hear about the balanced budget law in Alberta, but Chris, we do know that Alberta is still in debt. So why don't you break down some of the other rules around how uh, they must go about paying down the debt? Yeah, that was a big one. Uh, I must say our our boss, Scott Hennig, uh, president of the CTF, you might have seen him on an episode with Grover Norquist on, the, on this show. Uh, he actually went with me to the legislature to help out because it's a big lockup and there's a lot of moving parts. And I had never been to the Edmonton ledge before. He was grinning. <laughs> During the budget presentation, it's the happiest I've seen him be uh, with a room full of politicians and bureaucrats. And that's largely because they're tackling the debt or at least they're promising to do so. So about this time last year, the, the provincial debt was in the mid 90 billion dollar mark, give or take. Now, after this budget presentation, it's in the mid 70 billion dollar mark. That's a huge difference. And that's, of course, largely in part because the Smith government put down historically the biggest payment down on the debt in the past 12 months. Thump. And they promised to keep on putting surplus cash down on the debt. So that's really important to see. That's a big reduction in the debt. The problem here is because there's still so much debt and because the interest rate is going up, our debt servicing costs what normal people would call like, you know, a credit card or interest bill on the debt is still about the same, Franco. It was around $2.6 billion for the year. But here's the dedication. They came out with a big promise. They said, hey, 50%, at least 50% of our surplus cash now must go down on the debt. That's The rest of it's got, yeah, right? So the rest of it's got strings attached too. So not only do you have to put at least 50% of the surplus down in the debt, but the rest of it has got to go into the heritage savings trust account or go to one-time spending that doesn't increase overall spending. Hey, speaking of increasing overall spending you know before you're heading into lockup we were on the phone talking about this that and the other thing but we're also (laughs) saying like you know we're worried that there was going to be a big spending budget heading into an election right we're worried about that we see that time and again from politicians um but what we were really worried about was also spending for years to come higher and higher and higher and higher and we're talking about the need not just for balanced budget legislation but the need to rein in that ever-increasing spending in the future. Now, Chris, it kind of seems like the government is doing that. Yeah, they. it sounds like they've sobered up. Uh, I know when you were Alberta director here, we were seeing spending increases and it was frustrating. And quite often we'll get into what they often call the roller coaster. They'll get a surplus and it's like, woo, party time. And then everybody lines up with cap in hand. Everybody wants more money. And then they wind up spending per capita more here in Alberta than they do in their peer provinces. And so we're like, we got to put a restrictor on that. How are we going to do that? Let's restrain spending with good disciplinary rules. 
Well, they said, yeah, we're going to take your word for it. We're going to listen. They listened and they said all future spending increases must be tied to population growth and inflation. Get this from the year previous. So that's even more restrictive because then they're dealing with the actual number. We're not going to be dealing with bureaucrats in the finance department imagining or projecting what the inflation rate or the population growth rate is going to be and going, oh, oopsie, how could have we known? We were super wrong. And then your budget's all screwed up. No, they're going to set it back on the year previous. I heard Premier Smith mention that to a group of chambers of commerce a couple of days ago. So these are some serious spending reforms that they've put through, which is a weird combination because here they went into it with a surplus. We all know it's an election season and we were expecting a whole bunch of spending, but I actually wasn't expecting this amount of fiscal discipline. Um, in fact, Scott mentioned, uh, Scott Hennig mentioned that Premier Klein, the late uh, former Premier Ralph Klein, had committed to 75% of surplus going down on the debt back in 1998, 1999. And that's largely what helped him keep that promise and eventually make Alberta debt free and raise that sign above his head. Yeah, back in the summer of 2004, he had the paid in full sign. I know many of our listeners, especially in Alberta, will remember those times fondly. Now, when we're talking about these spending limitations, like this is something, folks, that the CTF has been pushing for for like the early 90s. Okay, and the spending (laughs) limits in conjunction with the balanced budget legislation is really top notch guardrails. Uh, But, Chris, I think what most of our listeners are probably going to be thinking now is, okay, sounds good. You know, we love to hear all this stuff. uh, But the big catch is it's a promise. Politicians are prone to breaking promises. So, like, how would you give the pushback there? Great question. So there's many ways that we can hold politicians to their promises. And we get it that there's promises. We get it. It's silly season, as they say in the United States. It's election season. So they're going to say a lot of things. But they've said it. That's out loud with their face. It's on print. It's on camera. We were there. Everybody covered it. They're on the hook here for these provinces. And so say uh, Premier Smith is reelected and it's her government and they start playing around the books and they're not keeping these promises. We will do massive email campaigns. We will do petitions. I might chase her in a costume that looks like Pinocchio. Like there's all sorts. Yeah, I will. So there's all sorts of methods that we have both very firm and serious and basically akin to public shaming (laughs) that will keep them on board. In fact, it was during the scrum in the rotunda where they have for folks who haven't been to it. It's it's quite a neat thing to see in the rotundas of these legislatures after these budget presentations. It's just a huge mass of of media. So there's camera people everywhere. People running around with microphones. There's lights set up. And they did a big scrum with us at the Taxpayers Federation. And one of the ladies from Canadian Press said, oh, well, you know, what other power do we have to hold them to their promises other than public ridicule and i said well we're pretty good at public ridicule and they all laughed so we will hold them to their promises and then if uh, there's another person who happens to be premier we're going to hold them to hopefully these same promises as well because no matter who's in power in edmonton it's all the same taxpayers here in alberta and we're the ones having to pay it so we're going to stick to wanting to see the debt paid down to see the budget balanced and to see these spending restrictions yeah. And, and, you know, I'll just remind people like we have seen in other provinces. Yes. Like the, it is an argument and valid one that a politician can just rip up these types of guardrails. Well, we've seen politicians punished 
for doing that. And I would say, particularly in Alberta, Albertans, I think, really have a sense of how important these fiscal guardrails are. I mean, one of the most important protections in, in probably in Canadian history for taxpayers, if I can be so bold, is the Taxpayer Protection Act in Alberta. It was brought in around 1995. And of course, our listeners will know fondly that it means you cannot put in a provincial sales tax in the beautiful province of Alberta without first going to the voters through a referendum. That was brought, like I said, 1995 to this day. To this day, it's saving taxpayers billions and billions of dollars. Um, so these types of protections really do matter. They're really important. Our supporters have been pushing for this for, for decades, I guess, now. So it's good to see the Alberta government bring it in. Chris, before we let you go, uh, let's just provide an overview of exactly the guardrails that were introduced in this budget. For sure. Number one, balanced budget legislation. They're not allowed to go into deficit outside of a massive emergency. We'll figure out what those emergencies are and we're going to hold them to it. Number two, paying down the debt big time. 50% at least of surplus cash, cash must now go down on the debt. The rest of it has got to go into savings or one-time spending that isn't crazy. And number three, this is a huge one. Tying all future spending increases to the rate of inflation and population growth from year previous. Those are three major spending restrictions that this government has just put on itself. It's basically like watching a horse walk up to a yoke and stick it over its own neck and saying, all right, man, I'll pull. They've committed to it. So, folks, you might be in the rest of Canada here outside of Alberta wondering, why are we doing a podcast episode just talking about the Alberta <laughs> budget? And let me tell you why. Because when politicians are saying, hey, what do you want to see in the budget? What you have to do now is say, first, balance the budget, then put your head on a swivel and look at what Alberta's doing, okay? Because once you balance the budget, these are great fiscal guardrails to put in to protect taxpayers, not just today, but for years to come. Okay, so that's the importance of this conversation. Chris, uh, thanks for coming on the show today and great job keeping these politicians in line. I am joined by our investigative journalist, Mr. Ryan Thorpe. Ryan, you dug up some more details showing the government just cannot get off this gravy train it's on. This time, the documents you pulled up were about the department bureaucrats giving themselves bonuses. Mr. Thorpe, give us the deets. Yeah, thanks, Franco. Uh, so thanks to some records the, the Canadian Taxpayers Federation obtained through access to information requests, we now know the Trudeau government doled out $198 million in bonuses in 2022. And uh, here's the catch. That's only what they've paid out so far, meaning that that number is likely to rise oh. even higher. So uh, due to the way the federal government calculates and pays out its bonuses, the final figure for 2022 has not yet come in. Uh, but here's what we know at this point. Of the $198 million that's been paid out, $147 million of it went to 8,223 executive-level employees, while the remaining $51.5 million was given to lower-level public servants. And the average bonus for government executives in 2022 so far was $17,885. And, uh, and just so our supporters uh, are aware, you know, this is an issue that the CTF is going to keep its eye on. And so we'll update them when the final bonus figures for 2022 uh, become available. 
$198 million paid out to bureaucrats in the federal government in 2022 budget year so far. That's not even the final tab. Uh, I mean, this is getting kind of ridiculous. I mean, it all kind of comes down to what we've been terming the tale of two downturns during the pandemic, where the people paying the bills suffer, the job loss, the pay cuts, the business closures during the pandemic. Now, so many people struggling just to afford the necessities in life. So many people outside of the Golden Gates, the government worried about a possible recession around the corner. And these bureaucrats helped themselves to $198 million in bonuses in 2022. But Ryan, <laughs> that's not the total amount of bonuses that they've been giving themselves since the beginning of the pandemic, is it? No, it's uh, it's not. Uh, so last spring, the National Post reported the federal government handed out $171 million in bonuses in 2020. Then a few months later, the Post reported the federal government had handed out $190 million in bonuses in 2021. So all told, the Trudeau government handed out more than half a billion, and that's billion with a B, during the pandemic years. We've also seen a 16% increase in how much those bonuses are costing Canadian taxpayers during that time period. And again, that's likely to rise even higher as the final figures for 2022 are finalized. And one other thing we've learned is that each year, so that's 2020, 2021, and 2022, 89% of all executives received an annual bonus. So let that sink in, 89%. Of these top bureaucrats getting a bonus. Now, folks, I got my calculator out here, okay? So $171 million in bonuses in 2020, $190 million in bonuses in 2021, $198 million in bonuses so far in 2022, 559 million smackers worth of bonuses paid out during the pandemic years, all paid for with your tax dollars. Now, Ryan, I mean, these are bonuses, right? Not just participation trophies. So presumably... They're doing a good job in the bureaucracy, right, Ryan? Right? Well, the thing <laughs> is that the results are in and the answer is no. Uh, they're not doing a good job, even by their own metrics. So uh... to the government's own data, the federal bureaucracy consistently hits less than 50% of their performance targets. So in 2020, which was a year they got 170 million in bonuses, they hit 48% of performance targets. In 2021, a year they got 190 million in bonuses. They hit 45% of their performance targets. And in 2022, a year in which they've got 198 million in bonuses so far, they have hit 56% of their performance targets. But uh, here's the thing, just like with bonuses, the final numbers for performance aren't in either. So we're told a couple of departments have yet to report their results. So conceivably, the overall percentage of performance targets hit in 2022 could drop even lower, while the bonuses rise even higher. And uh, here's uh, how the parliamentary budget officer summed it up in a recent report. And this is a quote, less than 50% of targets are consistently met within the same year. And, uh, and I also think it's important to note the context here, which is that in the past three years, the size of the federal bureaucracy has grown by an average of more than 15,000 employees per year. So that means they're hiring more people, they're doing the same job, 
They're consistently churning out lackluster performance results. And as a reward, they're giving themselves more bonuses. And when we say bonuses, what does that mean? Well, it means taxpayer money. Okay, so uh, folks, our supporters listen out there, our boss, Todd McKay, old man McKay. Ryan, could you imagine having our monthly meetings with the old man and saying, yeah, I didn't even hit 50% of my targets. Cough up some extra money, cough up some bonus money. Could you imagine having that conversation with our boss? I don't think it would fly. No, because guess what, folks? In the real world, you don't meet half your targets. You get shown the door, not a big fat bonus check. Also, hold on a second here. These these bureaucrats are barely, barely, barely meeting half of their own targets, not targets set by the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, their own targets. Okay, and almost 90 percent of the top executives within the bureaucracy are still getting bonuses. So another question that comes to mind is how bad are the other 10 percent of bureaucrats in the executive that aren't getting a bonus? You know, but alas, that's probably uh, another detail for another time. Ryan, great job digging all of this stuff up again. Another hundred ninety eight million dollars in bonuses paid out to the bureaucracy in twenty twenty two so far. That comes on top of the more than three hundred thousand pay raises uh, that federal government bureaucrats received during the pandemic years. And of course, it's all paid for with your tax dollars, folks. So there's a couple things that you can do to take action because I know this is boiling your blood. Number one, check out the show notes. We'll post a link to Ryan's story online. Number two, we're also going to post the petition online to make government pay more fair for taxpayers. Please sign that. Please share it if you've already signed it. And number three, Pick up the phone, call your member of parliament and tell them that this is unacceptable and it's time to stop rewarding failure with our tax dollars.